Good morning, everybody. I never mind speaking to a small crowd. <laughs> when you got a small crowd, it means the folks that are here want to be here. Amen. And they're not here because they felt like they had to come or please mom, dad, or whatever. It's folks that want to be here. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, they're in the midst of them. That's talking about church discipline. But it's also talking about the gathering of the church. So I don't mind that. That's a blessing. Nowadays, if you're going to preach God's word, you got two choices. You can have a limited message, then you'll get an audience, or you can have a limited, or you can preach the message and have a limited audience. See, if you preach God's word like I know Brother Mike does, you're going to have a limited audience. That's the way it is. That's okay. And that's the way it's always been for, for, for God's messengers and for the prophets and for Jesus Christ and his disciples. But God always works through the foolish things of this world and the small things of this world to accomplish things to bring about his plan and purpose for all eternity. So it's always a blessing to be here. Uh, we're very grateful for this church. We're very grateful, my family and I, for its support that helps sustain us. And uh, this past week I had a, the privilege of spending a little time with my wife before I get back down on the road. We just uh, celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We got to spend a few days together down at the coast, and then my kids drove down to meet us for a couple days. Had a great day as a family on the beach yesterday. We have some friends joining us today, the Kelly family. They were out of town, and they let us use their home while they were gone. So that's the kind of hospitality you don't see a lot anymore nowadays. Back in the day when America at least claimed to fear God, a preacher could travel all over this country and never have to worry about a place to sleep at night because Christians just opened their homes. And so we're grateful for that. They were passing back home on the way this morning after letting us use their home. And so they want, we wanted to see each other, so we decided to meet here at Living Word Baptist Church this morning. And so we're, we're glad they could come join us. But uh, uh, it was 25 years ago that I got married to my wife. And I'm happier today than I was 25 years ago. I'm thankful for my wife. Um, and it was also 25 years ago when Jamie and I first came here. See, we got married and I started seminary down here in Wake Forest. And we were looking for a church home. We wanted just a simple place where God's word was preached. Where I could hear that good old King James English. And that's where a friend of mine put me in touch with Brother Terry Hall. And, of course, that, it was Terry's son. Him and I had worked together at camp that summer and that's when I first met Terry. And we've been good friends ever since. In fact, my kids stopped and, and checked in on him a couple days on their way home and uh, on their way down to meet us and spent a few hours with him. And that was a blessing. But we came here. And we were pretty lonely here. Uh, didn't know anybody in this area. And God gave us a church home. And that was you folks. And that was 25 years ago. And uh, I remember when God called us to the mission field, this church sent us out. I remember Brother Terry and a few folks from the church met us down at the airport there in Charlotte when we flew out to Nepal for the first time. And I remember we ended up being rushed, and Terry had this whole little service plan. That was back when you could go to the gate. Your family and friends could go to the gate. And he had a little message plan, and we were going to gather there, and he was going to preach right there at the airport terminal in the gate. And we did, but it was quick because they were rushing us off. And we turned, by, turned around said goodbye and went overseas. And uh, so I'm just thankful for this church that sent us to the mission field. And when I look in the scriptures, it was the church at Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas out. Sent them out on Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul thought it important enough that he always came back to Antioch to give testimony of what the Lord had done. So Living Word is our sending church. We're privileged to be a part of this fellowship and I know you don't see our face too often, but I am uh, grateful that I know people pray for us. The church supports us. This church and the church we helped plant back in Catawba County, really those two churches are what sustain us financially, primarily, along with um, uh, individuals uh, who give like the Kellys and others who've been gracious to us. I just want to thank you all for that. Um, and... Uh, it, your support's been consistent for a long time, and it's very generous. In fact, uh, uh, it's so consistent and it's so generous that when 
The support isn't there on a certain day of the week. Something's wrong. Somebody's either out of town or somebody's in the hospital. I mean, it's just one of them things. You folks have been, been folks we can count on, and I appreciate that. And I trust that you found our labors for the Lord over the years, whether it be here in America or on the foreign field, have been worthy of that, and that you found our, our, our labors to be faithful for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We live in a day and time... Uh, what Jesus called the night. Jesus said the night comes when no man can work. We're in the night right now in this country. And what this country needs is what it's always needed. And what we've often taken for granted. And that's the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. So I don't believe there's much hope for America but I believe that there's hope for every American because the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was crucified. He was buried according to the scriptures and he rose up again on the third day. He ascended back to heaven, proving that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And from thence he's coming. He's coming to set up a kingdom. The very last prayer in the Bible is a prayer we need to be praying a lot nowadays. The very last prayer in the Bible, Revelation 22, there at the very end. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. When we pray for our country, we need to pray that prayer. Because the Messiah is the only one that can fix this. It's not Republicans in Congress. They're liars and grifters, just like Democrats. It's not another four years of Donald Trump. It's not any of that stuff. It's the Messiah that we need. And so until he comes, we've got to preach it. And that's what we're trying to do. So most of you folks are aware that God uh, led me to stop what I was doing back in uh, March of 2021 and to pick up a cross and walk across this country. I have a great love for taking the gospel to the nations. And God has allowed us to preach Christ in more than 50 countries since this church sent us to the mission field. We've spent, ex spent extended time in places preaching God's word in other languages going to the Jew and also to the Gentile. But uh, a little over a year ago, the Lord led me to stop what I was doing. And when you look at the lives and ministries of the prophets that God commissioned, there were times when God told them to stop what they were doing and to do something crazy. You know, Isaiah was told to stop what he was doing, to take off his robe and his loincloth and his shoes and to walk around barefoot and naked for three years. Ezekiel was told to stop what he was doing and build a model of the city of Jerusalem and show it under siege for the people to stand by and wonder what he was doing. Ezekiel was also told to make bread and eat it, to stop what he was doing. Jonah was told to stop what he was doing and go to Nineveh and preach against that wicked city. Jonah didn't want to stop what he was doing, and he ended up getting to Nineveh the hard way. So, you know, when the Lord leads you to stop what you're doing, you might better stop what you're doing and be obedient. That's what he did with me. And uh, this ship is sinking. And like a captain, an honorable captain that goes down with the ship, I just couldn't in good conscience go back overseas a couple of years ago. It was time to go back to my own backyard and do a little preaching because what this country needs more than anything else right now is some hellfire and brimstone warning from God. And calling men to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So the Lord led me to pick up a cross and start walking. And my daughter said, Dad, you can't do it without me. You've got to let me go. I want to go out with you. As long as you keep up with your schoolwork, I said. Well, she did. And there's not going to be any more math or science or English literature on the side of the road. She just graduated from high school uh, uh, just a little over a week ago, we had a little graduation party. She got her diploma in the mail. So she did her junior and senior year of high school walking with, with Dad across America and got good grades. So we're thankful for that. But um, uh, Lord, let me just pick up a cross and go for a walk, put my feet in the Atlantic, and to keep walking until we reach the Pacific. And so by God's grace and mercy, we eventually made it all the way across uh, North Carolina, and back at the end of uh, uh, June, we uh, got to the Wyoming state line. So we walked to the very end of Nebraska, and we're at the Wyoming state line. The Lord gave us liberty to pack up and come home and take a month off. My knees were hurting. 
Bethany needed to finish up her schoolwork. We could have her high school graduation. I wanted to be with my wife on our silver anniversary. And Lord just gave us a good month off in that heat. And now we got to get back out there because it's still a long way to the Pacific Ocean. And I just want to be faithful uh, to what God has led us to do, uh, whether it be to Jew or Gentile or whether it be in my backyard or Judea, Samaria or the uttermost part of the world. But this country is on life support right now. And this country is one of the biggest mission fields in all the world. And one of the reasons why is because the church is so weak. We're weak. We, I, weak. We've loved our wealth and our ease and our comfort for so long that we're weak. Even the poorest family in this country today has more creature comforts than the Roman, some of the Roman emperors did two millennia ago. Can you believe that? And that's made us weak. And so the church is weak. It doesn't restrain evil as it should. It doesn't speak out against evil as it should. And now it embraces it. For some of you older folks, it's even more vexing than it is for me. You've seen it down spiral longer than I have. We live in a country now where they actually debate in churches whether it's okay to be homosexual. They actually debate in churches whether it's okay or not to tell your little boy he can be a little girl. We actually have just as many young women aborting their babies in the church as they do outside the church. Just as many church attenders go to the abortion mills as the ones that don't attend church. The divorce rate in the churches is more than 50%, just like it is in, in the world. That's what we're living in. The night is here. But by God's grace, we've been able to walk and preach. There are a lot of folks in this country who have never heard the gospel. I know that's hard to believe. But we take it for granted because we're comfortable within the four walls of our church. There are churches in this country where the gospel is never preached. Where the word of God is never preached. Or where Jesus is presented as a flu shot as opposed to the king and Christ the Messiah. Something you can just take. Just take a little Jesus. Pray a little prayer and you'll be alright now. Just go live the way you want to live. That's not the gospel. And so there's people I run into all the time, never heard the gospel. They go to church on Sunday, but they've never heard the gospel. Have no clue about what Jesus did or about where they're going to go when they take their last breath. And that's sad. It's a mission field. But by God's grace, we've walked 4,412 miles. We've had about 2,200 gospel encounters. And we've been able to give out 120 copies of God's word to people that don't have one. There are people in this country that don't have a Bible. You can buy a Bible for a dollar at the Dollar Tree, and yet there are still people who don't have one or have never even opened one. I met a guy on the side of the road in eastern Kentucky. I don't know what he was looking for. He was looking for something on the side of the road. Got to talking to him, walked up with my cross. I think I scared him a little bit. Gave him a Bible, and this guy said, I have never in my entire life opened a Bible. Never once. I think my mom and dad had one when I was a kid, but I've never opened one. That's right here in America. And you wonder why we're in the shape we're in. But God's been good to us. We look forward to going back out. The last day we walked in June, in the June, we saw the foothills of the Rocky Mountains on the horizon. So we're almost there. The roads across Yellowstone National Park, they close on November 7th. So we got to get moving. We got to get across Wyoming. And Wyoming's one of those weird states where sometimes you have to drive 50 or 60 miles just to get five miles or ten miles west. And so fortunately, I mean, we're going to have to either get off the highway and get over those mountains or we're going to be walking all the way around. So we're, all that's in the Lord's hand. We go out to preach Christ and Him crucified. We go out to, to, to share with the Jew first and also with the Gentile. My heart is to preach Christ the Messiah to the Jew. God has been very good to us. In fact, this past week when Jamie and I were down on the Outer Banks, believe it or not, I blew out a flip-flop walking back to the car from the beach. And it wasn't a pretty sight. I had to walk a half a mile over hot pavement and ended up going across the grass and got enough burrs in my feet that there was blood coming out. And it was like almost a spiritual meltdown. I mean, it was just like, what in the world? This is so ridiculous. So we had to go out and had to try to find me a pair of flip-flops. Well, the only surf shop there in town had the gay pride flag flying outside. 
No way. Just not going to do it. I don't have to. I'm not going to. I'd rather go without a pair of flip-flops than to go in there and support something like that. But anyway, we got riding around, and I'm just trying to ask God, what's this all about? I just wanted to have a nice dinner with my wife. And we went down near, near, near the Hatteras Lighthouse, and I saw another surf shop. And I thought, well, I'll just go in here and check it out. Well, I found a, a pair of flip-flops. They were cheap. And I went up to the counter, and I was preparing to pay. I heard these two guys behind the counter arguing with a customer. And the guy behind the counter was talking about this country. And he was talking about, he said, you know what the problem is with you Americans? Is you claim to believe something, but you're too scared to say it. And you'll apologize for it if somebody gets their feelings hurt. That's what's wrong with you Americans. And I thought to myself, hmm, that sounds like Jewish chutzpah to me. You know, Jews will tell you to your face what they think. You know, if you put t uh, 10 Jews in an elevator, you'll have 11 different opinions. That's the way it worked. I mean, they'll just tell you straight up. I mean, go read Jesus and the disciples. They'd, they'd speak straight. We need more of that in our country nowadays. But I thought to myself, that sounds like Jewish chutzpah. Are these guys Israelis? Surely not. So I got up to the counter and I said, you know, sir, your friend talked about how stupid Americans are. I said, you're right. We are. We're stupid people. We're people that have turned our back on God. And that's why we won't even stand up for what we believe in in this country. And that's why this country will go straight to hell. And he's like, well, yeah, yeah, you know. People will agree with you a lot of times. Doesn't mean they believe it. And uh, he, he went on to say, well, you know, it's not just Americans that are stupid. The Jews that live in this country are stupid people too. And I thought to myself, only a Jew would speak about Jews like that publicly where everybody can hear and I said, well, I'm going to tell you, when at that point I realized they were from Israel. And I said, I'm going to tell you what this country needs, sir. And I'm going to tell you what Israel needs. It's not Republicans, and they were talking about politics. It's not Trump. It's not any of this stuff. What we need is the Messiah. The Messiah. And he's real. And his response was, well, we hope he's real. Oh, no, sir, he is real. Because that's what the scriptures say. He's come once. To pay for the sins of the world and he's coming again to set up a kingdom. And he's going to make it right, but you've got to be right with him. And so they just kind of looked at me stunned. I said some of that to him in Hebrew. Well, anyway, I was able to go out to the car. And I, had, I just happened to have one copy of the Hebrew-English Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and a hardback Hebrew-English New Testament in my car. So I hastily threw it together a little gift bag for these guys. And I didn't have a bag, so I'd use a trash bag. And I put a couple things in there and I went back in and I was able to give them a copy of God's word in their language and explain to them that I love the Jewish people because God used the Jews to give the world the greatest gift the world could ever be given. And that was the word of God. You know, we talk about Christ being born in a manger as the greatest gift given to the world. The greatest gift given to the world was God's word because God's word revealed how we would know who the Messiah is. And God used the Jewish people to write down the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, all Jews. Jewish eyewitnesses of Christ in the New Testament. And as a result, we can know who the true God is and we can know who the Messiah is. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I was just excited about that. That's the kind of stuff that we run into from time to time. And you know that God's directing your steps. I wasn't so upset about a blown out flip-flop after I was able to give out a copy of the scriptures to some Jewish folks there. Because that's what we love to do. And we pray every day before we start walking that God would put a lost sheep from the house of Israel into our path. And he doesn't do that all the time, but he does. There was one uh, 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 day on this past leg when we were in Kansas. I was in the middle of nowhere. And we prayed especially fervently that morning, standing at a bridge, that God would put a Jewish encounter in our path. And I immediately set off through this town, and I, I took a wrong turn right there at the beginning. And then I had to navigate around. I found a guy planting cucumbers in his yard. He gave me some directions. I gave him a gospel tract, shared with him. And then I walked around and navigated back to Main Road, and I saw a guy raking grass in his yard. And I got to talking to him, and he asked me why the Hebrew on my shirt. Well, it turned out he and his wife were Jewish, but they were found sheep. They were followers of Jesus Christ the Messiah and had lived and preached that in Israel. So God gave us some found sheep a few minutes after praying that prayer. And I was able to give him a copy of the scriptures in Hebrew and English. He was very appreciative. And we went on down the road, and I thought, well, okay, that was that. God answered our prayer. We'll take a found sheep without, if, if he's not going to give us a lost sheep. But then some hours later, I was on a dirt road. It was very hot, 90 degrees. 
and it was just out in the middle of nowhere, and a pickup truck pulls up, and it's a sheriff's deputy from the county there. Um, I, I can't even remember what county it was. It was there in Kansas. And he wanted to know what I was doing and make sure I was okay. And I explained to him what I was doing, and we got to talking. And uh, he asked me about the Hebrew on my shirt. And I told him what it meant, and I explained to him that the Jesus Christ I preach is the Messiah of Israel. He's the Savior of the world. And then he proceeded to tell me that when he was a kid, his great-grandfather used to show him these numbers tattooed on his arm. And he never knew what that meant until he got older. And it turned out that this man was a great-grandson of a Holocaust survivor. His great-grandfather was in a Nazi concentration camp and had survived that. And here I was all these years later walking with the cross on an abandoned dirt road. And I'm able to give him a copy of God's Word. What an amazing thing. That God in his providence would spare a Jewish man in a concentration camp so that his great-grandson, years later, would get a copy of God's word from a walking Gentile preacher who's carrying a cross. Now that stuff just makes me excited. That's stuff that God does even when a country is perishing. Even when it's perishing. So I praise God for the testimonies. They could go on and on. I think some of you folks read the newsletters I send out. If you don't have, if you're not on that list, talk to me. I'll put you on there. I just put out one. I don't want to rehash all of that. And uh, But we're heading back out this week, Lord willing. It'll be a long leg. We'll probably be out till Thanksgiving. We need to get across the Rocky Mountains. And we're just going to keep walking until I put feet in the Pacific. I'm not sure where that'll be. But we just want to be obedient. But if you're going to serve the Lord, beware. You don't come to God on your own terms. You only come to God on His terms. Cain thought he could come to God on his own terms. But you only come to God through Jesus Christ. But the other thing we need to remember as Christians is that we don't serve God on our own terms either. If we're going to serve God, then we need to be willing to do what God commands us to do. We don't serve Him on our own terms. And that's something that I've had to learn through this. That my plans have to be train wrecked. And I don't serve God on my own terms. And he's blessed it. And I thank God for the privilege of walking the decks of this ship while it's sinking. While it's sinking. I did want to share something with you from the scriptures this morning. I often say to folks that I'm walking across America or we are walking across America in the spirit of a watchman upon a wall. And that's a reference there to what God told Ezekiel the prophet. I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. I want you to warn them for me. If a watchman sees the danger coming and he warns the people and the people don't listen, then their blood is on their own hands. If the watchman refuses to warn the people, the people will still perish, but God will require their blood at the watchman's hands. And I feel like today... In our country, if we as, we as believers are watchmen, we are to watch and be sober, the Bible says. We are to warn every man. That's what Paul said he did. If we know the truth and we know what can fix this country and we'd be, we're quiet about it because it might get us in a little trouble or offend somebody, then we're not being faithful watchmen. But I... I speak about walking in the spirit of watchmen upon a wall. And I just want to look at a passage in Isaiah this morning. But before I do, we talked about praying for our country. When we pray for our country, when we witness to our country, when we go out and walk across our country with the cross, we need to remember something. We need to remember something that we probably don't want to hear. So turn with me just quickly to Jeremiah chapter 30. Verse 11, we need to understand that the destruction and the end of this country was prophesied and was guaranteed long before any of our founding fathers were ever born. Long before any colonist put it in his mind that he needed to flee across the Atlantic Ocean to find a place where he could worship God freely according to his conscience. Long before any of that. Long before Jesus Christ came into the world. Long before the apostles carried out the Great Commission and the gospel went to the Gentiles, the destruction of this country was guaranteed by God. We need to remember that. And we need not to think otherwise because God's word is always true. 
In Jeremiah chapter 30, God prophesies concerning the children of Israel that are going to be cast out. And the temple is going to be destroyed. And they're going to be carried captive to Babylon because of their sin and wickedness against God. And then God, through the prophet, prophesies that one day he's going to gather Israel back. One day he's going to gather them back into the land in a state of unbelief. And then after that regathering, there's going to come a time unlike any the world has ever seen. The time of Jacob's trouble. That's what the New Testament calls the tribulation. And so Israel is gathered in a state of unbelief. The time of Jacob's trouble comes. And then Israel finally wakes up. Then the nation finally wakes up. And God saves them out of trouble. And fulfills his promise to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the context here. Now, in our lifetime, we have seen God begin to gather his people back into the land of Israel. That began in 1948 when Israel declared its independence, and it's still happening today. And so we've seen these things begin to come to pass. And it should be no surprise that Israel is far from God. It should be no surprise that the city of Tel Aviv is wicked and evil and that there's all, all the evils we see here are there because they've imported it from us. It should be no surprise because God says here in this chapter that they would be regathered in unbelief. And it's going to take a terrible time of trouble to wake them up. And that's the context here. But in verse 11, here God guarantees the final end and destruction of America long before she was ever founded. For I am with thee, God is speaking to Israel, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Here God promises that he's going to make a full end of all the nations where the seed of Israel has been scattered. But he's not going to make a full end of the nation of Israel. He's going to correct them. And he's going to restore them. When I talk to folks out here as I walk across America, I tell them there's one word that proves to me the Bible is absolute truth. One word and one word alone. And that's the word Israel. God has kept his promise to Israel. And we've seen it playing out through history. And because God keeps his promises to Israel, I can be sure that he keeps his promises to the church. I can be sure that he keeps his promises where Jesus Christ and his salvation is concerned. Where his coming for his saints is concerned. We can be sure because God never lies and he never changes. But God says he's going to make a full end of all the nations where Israel has been scattered. Even today, outside of the modern state of Israel, the United States has more Jewish people living in it than any other single country. The only other place where you can find more Jews is in the modern state of Israel, the biblical land of Israel. So even today in 2020, the one nation that has more Jews scattered living outside of Israel is right here. And God says that he's going to make a full end of all those nations. So we need to understand as we watch our country fall that God has guaranteed his destruction long before our founding fathers were born. We need to accept that and understand it. If we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can love our country. And like Lot, we can be vexed when we see the evil that is going around, just like he was vexed in Sodom. And we can pray for our country, but we need to understand that its destruction is unavoidable. And we need to understand that our first allegiance is not to the United States of America, it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our founding fathers warned us. They understood these things. They warned us that these days would come. They warned us that the end of this country would come. Jefferson warned us. Madison warned us. Adams, Washington. We just don't even care anymore. Nobody knows what these men said or how they warned. They said these days would come and that this experiment in liberty would end. We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, they warned us of a time when Americans would forget that their liberty is a gift from God. And start thinking it came from somewhere else. Like from themselves or even from the military or from the government. 
But when we forget that it's a gift from God, then the country's doomed. All of these things have been written. That's why we are where we are today. It's the night. It's not the day. It's the night. The destruction's been guaranteed. So what can we do? What can we do? Do we just sit there and wait for everything to go to hell and moan and weep and complain? Or do we love our country enough to speak up about what really matters? Turn to Isaiah. I don't want to preach too long. I don't want to keep the service too long. But you know me, I'm a street preacher. It's kind of hard for me to be quiet. I mentioned that word watchman, and I often say that I'm walking across America in the spirit of a watchman upon a wall. Here in Isaiah chapter 21, the prophet stops prophesying against Israel. And according to God's command, he begins to prophesy judgment against the Gentile nations. That's the context here. And it deals with the future fall of the world system. Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. This entire world system that we see and operate by is going to crash and burn one day. Both the, the uh, commercial and the religious elements. The world system is doomed. Don't put your hope in it. But it's in the context of this that God tells the prophet Isaiah in chapter 21 verse 6. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Go, set a watchman. Let him declare what he seeth. What does a watchman do? He declares what he sees. He doesn't whisper it. He doesn't beat around the bush to get to it. He declares what he sees. So a watchman is able to look around and see what's going on. And he isn't afraid to tell. And I feel like that's what I have to do. That's what we need to do. We need to see what's going on. And we need to tell it. We need to declare it if we truly love our country and our fellow American. That means in the line at the grocery store. That means on the beach. I walked by a guy in the water yesterday. I was seeking a way to talk to him. And he had this really sweet beard, this Fu Manchu that came down to here. And he, we made eye contact and I said hello to him. I said, that's a really sweet mustache you got there. That looks like something out of the Civil War. He's like, yeah, I shaved my beard off. I said, it would take me 10 years to grow that. I said, that reminds me of an old Civil War general. That reminds me of an old Confederate general. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it does. I said, maybe that's what we need more of nowadays in this country. Maybe we need more people to be like them old soldiers in gray that say no to this wickedness and this righteousness in a country that's turned its back on God. So a watchman isn't afraid to declare these things. Usually when I'm walking down the street, if I see someone in the front yard, I like to go on the back roads. We end up on gravel roads, sometimes on trails. I've ended up on private property before. I always am ready to ask forgiveness if I can't ask permission. But we walk up on folks where they live. And I'll usually speak to someone and say, hey, how you doing, sir, ma'am? Never mind me. Sometimes I'll break the ice and I'll say, excuse me, I, could, could you help me for a moment? Will this road take me to California? Usually I'll ask that. And they're just like, what in the world? You know, so break the ice. But I usually say, you know, don't mind me. I'm just a preacher walking across America. I don't know if you folks have heard, but this country's going straight to hell. And it's going to hell because we, as a people, have turned our back on God. And because we've turned our back on God, now we've got a government that's sticking its middle finger in God's face. And you think, man, that's blunt. Well, that's what a watchman does. He declares what he sees. We need to humble ourselves and repent and get right with God. When you kick God and the Lord Jesus Christ out of everything, you shouldn't be surprised that you have dummies running the country. You shouldn't be surprised that evil triumphs everywhere and that you're losing your freedoms. We need to humble ourselves and get right with the Lord. And we only get right with the Lord through Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Usually I'll give them a gospel tract. But that's what a watchman does. He declares what he sees. Go set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. The churches in this country stopped declaring what they see long ago. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. As you go on to read, the, the, the watchman declares what he sees regarding the future fall of Babylon and destruction upon Gentile nations. 
primarily in this passage upon Arab nation. And it goes on to verse 8, and he cried, this is the watchman, a lion, my Lord, I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights. So the watchman not only declares what he sees, he stands there and he keeps doing it over and over again. And that's what we try to do, just to keep warning folks. Sometimes we run into people, the same people more than once. I ran into a guy in Missouri one time carrying a cross, and I preached the same message that you just heard me preach, and he loved it so much he gave me a hundred dollar bill, said, use it, get you, you know, for whatever you need. I ran into the exact same guy a month later, believe it or not. I didn't recognize him in the moment, but I said the exact same thing I said to him a month earlier. This a month earlier, this time he got angry with me. This time he'd been drinking a little too much, and he got angry and got in my face. The message didn't change. And then he told me about how he had given me a hundred dollars. And I said, you know what, I appreciated that day, sir. But if you think giving me that $100 bill makes you right with God or scores brownie points with God, you're wrong. You need to repent. You need to repent of your drunkenness, first of all. And then you need to get right with God because you're not humble. And so I don't know why or how that happens. But a watchman continues to preach day and night regardless of the response. You go down through here. The verse 11, I'll, I'll spare us all the details about the specific prophecy. But then we get to verse 11. The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir, that's the land of Edom, Mount Seir. Watchman, what of the night? What of the night? This is the people, what of the night? What of the night, watchman? The watchman said, verse 12, the morning cometh and also the night. If ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. So not only does a watchman declare what he sees, we see here that he warns the people. When the people ask him what he's doing, he warns them. He warns his people. You say, well, what, what, how'd you get that out of this verse? Well, they're asking the watchman. You're talking about this night. You're talking about this judgment. What is all this? And the watchman says, the morning's coming, but not before the night. We like to talk about the morning as Christians. And we should. We should find comfort and hope in the glorious appearing. The blessed hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that trumpet that calls the church home. We should find comfort in those things. Paul tells us to in 1 Thessalonians 4. We should have comfort when we think of the morning. But we need to remember that before the morning the night comes. And we're in the night. And we need to warn people about the night. Because they're living in the night. This country is in the night. Jesus Christ was questioned about his preaching. And he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The night's coming. And we're in it now. When you can't work. But as long as Jesus Christ is in the world, he's the light of the world. And as long as the born-again believer, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is here, Christ is in the world because he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. So we're the light of the world. In the night, we're to be the light. And to be a light, you have to warn folks. You have to warn them that, yes, there's a morning, but the night comes first. And it's a good thing to inquire about the night. It's a good thing to ask why. Are we under this judgment? It's a good thing. The watchman warns. What is a warning? A warning is a caution of danger. It's a reproof. A warning tells you what not to do or how to escape something that's unavoidable. That's what a warning is. Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, is told to be a watchman himself. And over in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7 this is how a warning is defined. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So here we have God's prophet told to be a watchman and to warn his people. A watchman warns. Paul said in Colossians that we have gone everywhere preaching the gospel, warning every man. How does the watchman here in Isaiah warn the people? He warns them that the night is coming before the morning. And then he tells them to do two things. You need to return 
and you need to come. And when I think about those two words, I think of some things that those same words are used here in the prophet Isaiah. And they're defined right here in the same book. In Isaiah 55 verse 7, that word return. When I warn folks about the judgment of God that's coming on this country and the judgment that's already here, I don't want to leave them with that. I need to tell them what they need to do. And that's what the watchman does here. You need to return and you need to come. Well, what does that mean? Isaiah 55, 7. This is what God says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. The watchman warns of judgment. And then bids folks. Bids his people to return. To return unto the Lord. And to forsake their wicked ways. That's what a watchman does. That's what I try to do out here. And we're all guilty. Even the church. We're weak. We want revival. But it needs to start right here. I need revival right here in my heart. That's what I need. Because I'm as lukewarm as the next guy body of Christ. But return. Return unto me, saith the Lord. And here, here in, uh, in Isaiah 21, not only the message return, but the message come. This reminds me of what the prophet uh, is told by God in Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, God is speaking to the wicked nation of Israel. Ah, sinful nation laden with iniquity. Everything God wrote to Israel, Paul says, was written for our learning as a warning and written for our comfort. And so everything that God wrote or, or preserved or revealed concerning the nation of Israel is written as a warning to all nations. So we should heed. When God says to a nation, especially one that used to know him but has now turned his back on him, ah, sinful nation laden with iniquity, we ought to listen. He rebukes this wicked nation of his, God does, the the nation of Israel. But then look what he says in verse 18. This is the verse that my pastor friend Bishnu from Nepal. He's been here before. He still labors faithfully for the Lord in his country. Even today. I read a report from him recently. I was so encouraged. But his eyes fell upon this verse. Isaiah 1.18. When somebody showed him a Bible many years ago. He was a Hindu steeped and lost in his sins. And there was something about this verse. Isaiah 1.18. That spoke to him and revealed to him something about the God of the Bible that was far different than all the gods and goddesses he had worshipped growing up. Verse chapter 118, come now. This is after God has warned a wicked nation. Come. The watchman there in Isaiah 21, return, come. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So when the watchman says return... He says, return to God, forsake your wicked ways, humble yourself and repent. And when he says, come, he says, come to God, because God can make you clean. Not Republicans, not Trump, not the CDC, not that, that fool Anthony Fauci, none of those folks. Only God can make you clean. Only the Messiah can make you clean. So that's what a watchman does. He warns of God's judgment, and then he bids the people return and repent and come and believe. That's the message America needs to hear, even though we have church on every corner. And that's the message we endeavor to preach. As you continue through chapter 21 here, verse 16, the watchman's given a report here. For thus hath the Lord said unto me. And then he speaks of some specifics in the land where he is a watchman. And then in verse 17, there at the end. For the Lord God of Israel hath spoken it. So not only does the watchman declare what he sees, not only does he warn the people, he maintains his post. He maintains his post. The response of the people doesn't deter him from maintaining his post. And that's what we see there in Ezekiel. That's what we see with Paul who gave testimony. That he ceased not night and day to continually over and over again warn every man. A watchman doesn't abandon his post. If you go back to Ezekiel's call in chapter 33. A watchman that maintains his post doesn't fret 
over the response. The response of the people doesn't determine how he does his duty. It doesn't affect it at all. He just does what he's been commissioned to do. Look what God tells Ezekiel here. He told Ezekiel that I've set you as a watchman over the people of Israel. But then look what he says at the end of chapter 33. And this is so funny because I see this over and over again myself with folks we talk to as we walk the highways and byways. Verse 30, also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee. After everything the prophet had said and warned them about, he had prophesied in the captivity that Jerusalem would be destroyed. You see, those Jews who thought they were going, things was going to all be better, that, you know, this, it was going to be fixed quickly. You know, kind of like, like the, the, those idiots in Washington talked about when the Russians came into Ukraine. I mean, everybody thought it would be over Quickly, it's not. Nobody even knows what's happening over there. I don't even know how we could know. But everybody thinks they've got it all figured out. Well, it'll just be a little while. We'll be in captivity, and then we can go back. And Ezekiel said, no. In fact, the city's going to be destroyed, and the temple's going to be destroyed. And he warned and warned and warned. They never listened. Never listened. In fact, God shut him up at one time so he couldn't speak. They would come asking questions. He wasn't even able to speak. No point. And then God loosed his tongue again and reminded him that he was called as a watchman. He was to declare what he sees and warn the people. And after all of that, and after all the things God demonstrated through his prophet, here we, here we are. They're still talking against you. Ezekiel, they're still talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. So yeah, people wanted to hear what the prophet had to say, but they whispered about him behind his back at home. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. They love hearing what you have to say, but they're not going to change. They're not going to do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Man, I can't tell you how many folks we've talked to. You can preach a hard message. You can lay out Jesus Christ. You can lay out the problems with this country, and they'll agree with every word you say. And they, in fact, they like to hear it, but they don't change. Nothing changes. They go from there and continue to live as, if, as they always have. That's nothing new, but the watchman is not deterred. And lo, God says, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. There are a lot of folks in this country that like to hear hard preaching. They like to hear these things. Yes and amen. But the fact is, they just like to hear it. It's like a song. But they don't change. They still keep going about their business. And God tells, tells the prophet here, when this happens, when this cometh to pass, when the people that love to hear you speak don't change, when they whisper and talk about you still behind your back, when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, God says, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. You see, a watchman's willing to go and warn and declare God's word regardless of the response. At least at the end of the day, those that heard will know that a prophet has been among them. So we don't go out to see people make decisions for Christ. We'd love to see people get saved and get right with God. We're not out there to get a crowd. We're not out there to try to get people to repeat a prayer after us. We're out there to declare as a watchman on the wall that this country's in big trouble. The Bible says that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Countries that are more in trouble with God than even the idolatrous nations are the ones that used to know him. But now they've turned their back on him. Did you know that our country was founded by men who believed that God's word was God's word? Who believed that the Ten Commandments were the law of God and that a society governed by the Ten Commandments would be a society in which the gospel message could thrive. A society in which evil would be restrained. And a society in which God would bless. 
Our founding fathers believed that. The people of this country who gave up and made great sacrifices to come here believed that and preached that. This nation believed that. Some of you who are older than me might remember a time when that was generally what was accepted in this society, even though people still did the same evil. It was, they, there was at least shame associated with it. It was done behind closed doors. But because we used to believe that in this country, and because we used to preach it, we're in bigger trouble today than even the heathen nations. Because now, what our country used to preach to be true and believe to be true is forbidden to even be posted in the courtrooms and the schoolhouses. We like to talk about Israel and how she's turned her back on God and all this kind of stuff. But even Israel today wouldn't dare prohibit the posting of the Ten Commandments in her school or in her military offices because they know the Ten Commandments came from God. They may not keep them, but they know they're from God and you won't find the Ten Commandments forbidden there. But here we've forbidden them. Even though Moses sits up there in stone atop the Supreme Court holding them in his hands, even to this day, the Ten Commandments are forbidden in our courtrooms and our schoolhouses. That means we're in big trouble with God as a nation. This nation is in trouble with God. And his judgment is already here. We've seen it. Fear amongst the people is a judgment from God. A people destroying themselves is a judgment from God. Replayed time and time again over his, throughout history. Dummies in charge of the country. That's a judgment from God. Time and time again throughout history. When are we going to wake up and realize that we're the problem? Not them. We're the problem. Because we've allowed it. We've become comfortable. We haven't listened to the watchmen upon a wall. There were watchmen on a wall, my friends, over a hundred years ago. Who knew that all of this stuff, it's never been about gay rights. It's never been about women's rights. It's never been about any of that stuff. We've all been deceived. Watchmen upon a wall over a hundred years ago, you can go read these Baptist preachers even today, were warning us that this was all about the destruction of the family. And that this wicked government has been trying to destroy this family for a long time. In fact, that's what the whole public education system was about. You had preachers, Baptist, faithful Baptist preachers warning the people of this country in the late 1800s, beware of the public school. This isn't about getting your kids an education. This is about destroying the family. It was prophetic, and they were right, and none of us listened. You know, we Baptists, and I'm, I'm as guilty as the next man, we Baptists grew up, we were more worried about whether somebody in the church was standing outside smoking a cigarette or whether somebody in the church would have a little, little a beer once in a while. We were more worried about that than we were about entrusting the education of our children to the public schools and the federal government. We were blind, eyes wide shut. I'm as guilty as the next man because we've not listened to the watchman upon the wall. We haven't listened to those that have come before. We quit listening to our founding fathers. I know I'm running long, but one of the things I like to do as a watchman, and it gets people talking, is we carry a cross. But I also carry a United States flag. And the United States flag is upside down. Now some people are like, whoa, what's that all about? What does that mean? I have people asking me all the time what it means. So I finally wrote a gospel tract and printed them off, fresh off the presses, so I could explain to people. Did you know that in the United States Code, United States uh, Law Book, Title IV, Chapter 1, talks about proper care and respect for the United States flag. And in section 8A, it reads, the flag should never be displayed with the union down or the stars on the bottom, except, so that means there is an appropriate time, as a signal of dire distress and in instances of extreme danger to life or property. I believe that this nation's in distress because we've turned our back on God. I believe that our very lives or property are in danger. Because we're in rebellion against God. So I carry a flag upside down. And it gets folks' attention. It's like a watchman on a wall blowing a trumpet. Flying the American flag upside down is not a show of disrespect. I have to explain that to folks. 
Sometimes I have to tell them to get an education because they're not willing to listen. If I ever stumble upon somebody that's been in the military, that's been on the front lines, like my friend Kevin back here, they know exactly what it means. I've never had a guy in the military get mad about that because they know what it means. It means we're in trouble. It's a sign of distress and a warning of extreme danger. Is there any dis greater distress than when a nation that once feared God has now turned its back on him? Is there any greater distress for a nation? Is there any greater danger to a nation than to be under God's judgment? When a nation is in distress and under judgment, one who truly loves his country warns his country. He's a watchman upon a wall. Why do I walk across America? Why did I take a break? from going to the nations that I so love to do? Why do we carry a cross and upside down flag? Why do we preach and hand out gospel messages and Bibles and tell people hard truth? Because I love my country. I don't love my government. My government is so corrupt and wicked. I pray that God would free us of that. Sometimes I pray that God would raise up a Samson. We need a Samson. Go up there on that Capitol building. While all of them, let them all be gathered in there. All of them. Stay the union. I don't care what. Let him go up there and put his hands on those pillars. And bring that old Colosseum of Philistines down on top of every one of them. I pray that sometimes. You know, the Bible tells us to pray for those in authority. To make intercession for those in authority. Did you know there's two types of intercession? There's intercession for. And there's intercession against. Elijah made intercession against his government. If our government won't repent, then we'd be better off being rid of them. And we'd be better off it all come crashing down publicly in sight of all men. So men might humble themselves and repent. Some of our southern forefathers understood that 150 years ago. We didn't learn from any of that stuff, and we're going to repeat it all over again because we don't learn. But a watchman on a wall. I believe we've all been called to be watchmen. For some, it may be walking across the country with a cross. For others, it may be just burning a light when we go out to buy groceries or get gas. But a watchman isn't afraid to say what he sees. He calls them like he sees them. A watchman warns people because he loves people. And a watchman maintains his post. You know, old George Whitfield and John Wesley, those preachers, they preached until the day they died. The idea of retiring, none of that ever entered their mind. Those guys preached themselves into their graves. In fact, George Whitfield's buried up here in Newburyport, Massachusetts, because he was on another one of his trips here in the colonies, preaching up and down the colonies. And he died and was buried there. Preached till the day they died. That's what a watchman does. There is no retirement. But our country is in trouble. We need to pray for it. If God doesn't give us spiritual awakening in our streets, and revival in our churches, then there is no hope. It really doesn't matter who wins an election. We could have all Republicans elected. It won't matter if God doesn't give us a spirit of revival in our country. If the church doesn't wake up. But you know what? There's good news. I would say to you today that we are the church at Laodicea. You remember the one Jesus warned in Revelation? You're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm and I'm going to vomit you out of, your mouth, out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. He was a watchman. Revelation 2 and 3. The Lord himself was a watchman to the churches. He declared what he saw. He warned the churches. And he maintained his post. The very post he had when John saw him in chapter 1. Walking amongst the seven candlesticks. And Jesus was a faithful watchman. And he told the church at Laodicea. That is us today. Laodicea. People. Decea. Rights. Rights of the people. The church of the civil rights. Isn't that what we are today? The church at Laodicea. Jesus warned the church. And that's us. That's me. I'm so lukewarm, my friends. I don't have a clue what it is to suffer for Christ. Or to lay down my life for Christ like others who have gone before. I don't have a clue what it is to be faithful without compromise. Like some of those preachers of old. I don't have a clue. But there is good news. There's good news for us. If we'll just open our eyes and stop making excuses and accept God's verdict. Yes, God, I am lukewarm. 
do a work in me. We are lukewarm, Lord, do a work in us. If we'll just take that step, you know what? We're not Laodicea anymore. You're not Laodicea when you see that you're lukewarm. Jesus says here to the church, and I'm going to end with this. That's one of the things I've enjoyed walking is I get a lot of time to memorize Scripture. And God's helped me memorize the seven letters to the seven churches there. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's the ultimate watchman there, Jesus Christ, the Amen, the faithful and true witness. That's what a watchman is. I know thy works. Christ says the same thing to all seven churches. I know your works. That ought to make us quake in our boots. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Not cold like refreshing water to a thirsty soul. Not hot like soothing hot water to a sick soul. We're neither one of those. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Isn't that us today? We've got all the creature comforts. There's more creature comforts in this building today. And I'm telling you, folks, I love that AC. It feels good in here today. It just looks so nice in here. But realize that this is greater creature comfort than even Emperor Nero and Tiberius and Claudius and the Roman emperors had. Than Herod had. And it's certainly more comfortable than Jesus Christ who didn't even have a bed to call his own. Foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. We've got all these creature comforts. We think we have need of nothing. We have all we ever need. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You're lukewarm, you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, and you don't even know it. That's Laodicea. But guess what? If we open our eyes and see that we're weak, and see that we're lukewarm. We're no longer the church that know us not. And that's where it begins. In the darkness. In the night. When this country needs watchmen upon a wall. It begins with recognizing that Jesus is right. We are lukewarm. Have mercy upon us Lord. We repent. Use us. We are willing. Give us fear of God and not fear of man. Give us boldness that can only come from your Holy Spirit. Because we are lukewarm. You see, if I'll admit that, then I'm no longer this church. Because the church didn't know it. And kept living as if it wasn't true. That's good news for us, guys. That's good news. That we can actually get to a place and admit that Jesus is right. And we've all been weak. We've all been asleep. We've all been lukewarm for far too long. And that's why this country's in a mess. But there's hope because we can open our eyes and realize that that's the problem. And then revival can begin here. And then we can have liberty from worrying about all this political garbage. Oh, it makes me so angry. Don't get, get me wrong. I can't stand it. I get so easily distracted. It makes me angry to see the evil in Washington, D.C., see the evil here in Raleigh. But I don't have the power to change that. What, what I have the power by God's grace and Holy Spirit to do is open my eyes and to get right with God right here. And then to take a stand, to draw a line in the stand and say, I'm a watchman and I'm going to tell people what I see and I'm going to warn them because I love them and I'm going to stick to my post no matter what. And so I just wanted to challenge you folks today. That's kind of a picture of what we believe needs to be happening right now. That's why we go and walk and preach. We don't tell people what they want to hear necessarily. We try to tell them what they need to hear. And we try to love on folks whether they want to listen or not. I've had some angry encounters. But a lot of folks are willing to listen. The sad part is they're like the people in Ezekiel's day. They'll listen to you. It's like a song. But they don't change. But our job doesn't change. Until the Lord comes... Let's stop being lukewarm. Or let's realize we're lukewarm. Let's cry out to God. Let's buy that gold tried in the fire. Let's put that white raiment on. Let's take that eye salve and anoint our eyes so we can see. And let's open the door to the Lord Jesus Christ who's knocking on that door outside the church. Let's just open the door. It says, if any man open the door, I will come in to him and will suck with him. That's not talking to a lost person. That's talking to the church. And that's what we need to do. 
And we can do that right here in our own sphere of influence and be faithful until the end, regardless of what happens to the country. Because the end's been guaranteed long ago. That doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for it. doesn't mean we shouldn't love it. doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. But understand the bigger picture. The night has come when no man can work. Jesus said, as, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He is in the world indwelling in the true church today. And so let's burn the light. Pray for us. We're going back out next week, Lord willing. It's been kind of a, this was supposed to be a restful month. I want to praise God. My wife, uh, about three weeks, a little over three weeks ago, was hit by a drunk driver. She's going about 50, 55 miles an hour down the highway, going to get gas for the mower, and drunk pulled out in front of her, and then he fled the scene of the accident. And I just praise God because she wasn't hurt. She walked away from it with just a little bruising on her arm. And so we've been dealing with that, and these things come and go, but the watchman doesn't leave his post, and so we've got to continue. So your prayers are coveted. I, I just printed some new gospel tracts uh, that I like to give out. We've got the walking preacher tract. And then we got the tract here that explains what the upside down flag means and what this country needs to do to get back to God. I'm just going to put a few of these back here on the table. And I just, maybe you got someone you'd like to hand to somebody or just something to put on your refrigerator to remind you to pray for us. Uh, some of you folks that are more inclined as far as internet technology, thelongwalkusa.com. I've got a little website I put up where we track our progress. I update the coordinates every night and I share some of the things the Lord's been doing. So just go to thelongwalkusa.com and you can kind of follow us. And if you don't get our newsletters, make sure you sign up for it. You can do that there. But thank you all for your prayers. Thank you for your love and your support. And it's just been a blessing to come by and uh, just give a report to you folks before we head back out on the road. Thank you. There ain't no, there's, there's no, no clock on the wall, brother. I don't even know what time it is. It's starting there and stop. Oh, it's only 10.45. We, we, they ain't going to be open down there in Old South. Y'all know how I do. You wouldn't ask me to come preach to me if you thought I was going to get done right at 12 o'clock. You wouldn't even ask me because you know how I do. But God bless you folks. Thank you.